Well, welcome. This is fun. This is great. <laughs> I look. I can't see very well. It lights my eyes. I don't have my glasses, but it's great. There's a lot of blobs out there. And I look around you. You know, some of these people sitting around you, you may never have seen before. They've been coming to a different service than you've come to. It's been a long time since we've been together as a whole congregation. And what a treat. What a delight just to be together as a body. The reason we're here together is to celebrate the ministry that God has had in our lives through David and Carolyn Roper. We uh, recognize that God is the giver of good things. And giving them to us for these last 17 years has been a very good thing. This is kind of a bittersweet occasion. Uh, David will, after this, no longer be our senior pastor. But I think there's a whole lot more sweet than sorrow. That, that, that is a sadness to all of us. But that doesn't mean he won't be uh, ministering the word to us in the next weeks and months and years. Uh, David and Karen will still be ministering among us. And we have an opportunity this morning just to celebrate, to rejoice, to uh, recognize just some of the things that God has done in our lives through David and Carolyn's ministry. We want this service to honor them, but even more than that, we want this time together to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Because again, he is the giver of good things. David and Carolyn have been the workers, have watered, and we have grown, but it is God that causes the growth. And so we want the the glory to go to him, just as David has always taught us that he is the one we look to. Jesus Christ is the one that we look to. And he, David and Carolyn's ministry has always exalted Jesus Christ. And so out of respect, we want to do that, and we want to express our gratitude today. So let me tell you a little what's going on. We're going to continue uh, a little bit singing some more of the Roper's favorite songs. Bill has been leading us. David Melhoff will also lead some. Bill will be back up uh, leading us in music. Um, And we're also, uh, in in a bit, David's going to give us his last uh, sermon as senior pastor. Again, he's going to continue to minister the word over over the next weeks and months and years, But this will be his last sermon as our senior pastor. And what I ask him to teach is, is the one thing that he wants us to hold on to as a church, as a congregation. We'll also then, after that, have a chance to hear from, from quite a few of you just a, a glimpse of what God has done in your life through David's teaching, through David and Carolyn's ministry here. We've got a couple of microphones. At, at a certain point, I'm going to ask those of you that want to, to make your way out to the microphones. We've got too long a rows to try to pass a handheld mic. We'd never get to it. But uh, we're going to have a chance to hear just from a few people and uh, just to try to give David and Carolyn a glimpse of God's faithfulness and using them in our lives. We'll also have an opportunity to take a few minutes to commission them to the new ministry or to to the IMM ministry that they're being called into on a more full-time basis, ministering to pastors and their spouses throughout this this whole region. And so we'll take uh, a time to do that. 
Let me uh, just open our time, continue our time, by committing this service to these goals, to these purposes, to God's glory. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this celebration. I thank you that we can come together and be filled with joy at your faithfulness. Do uh, recognize that you are the giver of good things. And we do uh, want to uh, be grateful for all of the good things that you've given us. And specifically this morning, for the last 17 years of David and Carolyn's ministry to us, we want to be your grateful children, recognize your generosity. Lord, we ask that you honor yourself in this uh, service, that it bring glory to you. We commit every detail to you, every word spoken, every song we sing. We uh, just commit to you. Just fill each one here with your spirit that we might minister to each other. pray in your name. Amen. Before I go any farther, I want to to just uh, recognize a few uh, out-of-town guests. Um, Brian Roper, you can see him down there. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Brian uh, came over from uh, Washington to be with his mom and dad at this time. Josh is still here. He uh, was planning on leaving, but he, he put his plans to, to uh, take off, postpone those so he could be here for this time. Uh, Randy and, and Jenny and uh, the family. Uh, would, would, uh, Clara Ellis is here too somewhere. There she is. You all know Clara. So come on, would you guys stand up and just be recognized? <laughs> As uh, word of this event uh, kind of circulated, I started getting a lot of letters and faxes. We had very short notice and a, and a lot of folks weren't able to come. Got a, a letter from uh, Luis and Pat Palau. Just uh, sending his blessing and also just expressing what uh, ministry that David has had in, in his life. Got a note from uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll, who just, uh, there was a lot of stuff in there kind of poking uh, uh, some fun at David, just teasing him, but he also just expressed his uh, appreciation for that relationship. Howie Hendricks would have loved to have been here. He had to be someplace else, but he, again, expressed his uh, enthusiasm, what God is doing in the Roper's lives through IMM and through this church through IMM. Uh, one uh, gentleman was able to make it, uh, Steve Zeisler from uh, Peninsula Bible Church North, came all the way up from California. Steve, why don't you stand up? There's another that I'll introduce a little later, but uh, we just appreciate you guys from out of town and, and the family being here and, and sharing this time with us. Thank you so much. Well, I am honored, and I am humbled, and I am awed, and I am flummoxed, and I really don't know what to say except... Uh, just appreciate you all so much and the love that you've shown me over the years and uh, the love that you're expressing today. I, uh, I remembered a story about Winston Churchill uh, this past week. He was feted on some occasion and uh, there was a large crowd that gathered to give him honor and 
In the course of the meeting, one of his friends leaned over to him and said, Winston, aren't you impressed by the large number of people that are in attendance today? And he said, "Uh, yes, I am. But it just occurred to me that almost twice that many would show up for my hanging. My son, Josh, got off the best line, I think. I, uh, when I sat down beside him a moment ago, he said, Are you sure these people aren't giving you this big send-off so you won't come back? <laughs> but there really no, is no way for Carolyn and, and for me to express our appreciation to this body. I've often said to people when I travel, they... Uh, they really know how to love a fella back there at Cole Community Church. And we have, over the years, felt deeply loved by you all and still do. I thought a long time about uh, this morning and what I wanted to say. And uh, a story uh, occurred to me that I heard some years ago that I think best sums up what my ministry has been all about over the last 17 years. It seems this fellow uh, came in to see a theatrical agent with an act, and he had with him a large uh, brown bag, which he set on the agent's table. And he reached into the bag, and he took out a little tiny piano, set it on the table, and and with it came a little, little tiny stool that he put in front of the keyboard and then he reached into the sack and he got this little green frog and he put it on the on the seat and the little frog began to play box prelude number one just beautifully and the uh, agent was uh, he was ecstatic we're going to be rich this is an amazing act fellow says, you ain't seen nothing yet, reaches in the bag, takes out this uh, little goldfish in a bowl, takes the goldfish out of the bowl, puts the goldfish uh, on its little little fins, and, and the frog begins to play, and, and the fish began to sing in this beautiful Irish tenor voice, Mother McCree. And uh, the agent said, this, this is incredible, it's incredible. I've never seen an act like this in my life. We're going to be rich and famous. And suddenly the, the man stopped and he said, wait a minute, hold everything. I can't go through with it. And he puts, he picks up the frog and he puts him back in the bag and he picks up the goldfish and he puts him in the, in the fishbowl and he puts the fishbowl back in the bag and he picks up a little piano, a little stool, puts it in the bag and he starts to walk out. And the agent said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And the man said, well, it's, it's, it, I'm a fraud. It's all a fake. The agent said, what do you mean? He says, the fish can't sing. The frog's a ventriloquist. And I suppose the point of that story is that uh, sometimes you don't know what you have in your possession. The one thing I, wa- I have tried to get across to all of you these past 17 years is what we have in Christ. I've not wanted to lay on you a lot of rules and, and regulations about 
being Christian, what I've wanted to do is to help you to see what God has given to us. And out of that vast repository of God's goodness, his grace, his kindness, his love, his great forgiving heart, to, to live our lives out of those, those resources. Most of us, I think, come into the Christian life with no real idea of what we have in our hands and in our hearts. And more than anything else, I've wanted you to realize those enormous real resources that are, that are ours because of what our Lord has done for us. As I thought of a passage uh, this morning, uh, a number of texts went through my mind. I thought of, of some of the last words in Scripture. Uh, there are a number of, of occasions where prophets and apostles and others uttered last words, and those were always significant occasions. Last words ought to be momentous, enduring utterances, and certainly there's nothing that I could could say that would be lasting apart from what Scripture has said. And and so in thinking through those texts, I uh, came upon a passage that I think best sums up what I would like to say, and it's found in John 15. If you would turn there, please. John 15, as you know, is the centerpiece of what we call the Upper Room Discourse. Our Lord and his disciples left the Upper Room. We know that's true because at the end of chapter 14, Jesus said to the disciples, Arise, let's go from here. And they left that chamber where they'd been gathered for that last meal on the night before our Lord went to the cross. And they made their way down the steps on the east side of the uh, of Mount Zion, they're still there to this day. And they made their way down that staircase into the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley at that time was one vast vineyard, as far as the eye could see, up and down the that gorge. There was this one vineyard after another, and I think it was the sight of those vines and branches that elicited from the Lord these words. Our Lord was such a a master wordsmith, and so often he he drew pictures. Pictures are always worth a thousand words or more. And uh, this picture is is so memorable. It's it's the one that I wanted to to leave, leave with you. What our Lord does in this chapter is address the three realms in which we as Christians live. Our relationship to our Lord Jesus our relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and our relationship to the world, God's other children, not in the sense that they are redemptively his children, but in the sense that they, uh, he is their father. Now, these are the three realms in which we uh, constantly find ourselves, our relationship to God, the church, and the world. And in each of these realms, we have one responsibility. Our Lord teaches us here to abide in Christ, to love one another, and to witness to the world. I can't think of of any other words that I would want to leave with you this morning than those. I could wish nothing more for you in years ahead than that you would increasingly learn to abide in Christ and love one another and witness to the world.
Now, first, our responsibility to our Lord Jesus. Let me begin reading with verse 1 of chapter 15. I myself am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts it up. Now, you'll note in most translations, the verb reads, he takes it away. But uh, he lifts it up is actually what our Lord had had in mind. Uh, It's a word that uh, occurs in John 5 and the story of the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda when the Lord said to him, Rise, pick up your bed and walk. It's that verb, pick up. It's found again in John 8 where the some of Jesus' detractors took up stones to throw at him. It really means to pick something up from the ground. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts it up. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleanses it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. That's the verb form of the noun that's translated prunes in verse 1. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Now there are four elements here to the parable or the picture. There is a vine which our Lord clearly identifies with himself. I am the vine, the true one, true in contrast to the spurious, the false probably thinking of the references to Israel in the Old Testament as a vine. Isaiah refers to uh, Israel as a a fruitful vine that was placed in a sunny place and it was nurtured and cared for and cherished by the vine dresser. Came looking for fruit and he found nothing but little sour grapes. Israel was a vine that was planted by God intended to bear fruit. Failed to do so. Our Lord himself took the place of the nation. He became the true Israel. Planted by God. Prepared, nurtured, cherished to bear fruit. Here our Lord identifies himself as that vine. I am the the true vine. God the Father is the husbandman or the gardener, the vine keeper. The... uh, The branches are individual believers integrally connected to the vines. You and me, uh, we are in Christ. Uh, His life flows through us. We share and participate in in the life of the vine. And finally, there there is fruit. Fruit throughout both the Old and New Testament is used as a consistent symbol of, of character. I know of of no place in the Bible where fruit becomes a symbol of souls one to Christ. It's always a picture of, of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, and gentleness, and kindness, goodness, integrity, honor, virtue. These are the products that the life of Christ produces in us as the life of the vine flows through the, through the branches. So it's a wonderful a very clear picture of, of what it means to be a, be a believer. This is a, a picture of authentic Christianity. The branches 
tied into the vine, sharing the life of the vine and producing the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ wherever we go, making visible the invisible Christ. Now, in this first paragraph, we're told that the, that the gardener has two responsibilities. Every branch in me, he says, that does not bear fruit, he lifts it up. He lifts it up. One of the things that I've wanted to get across to you in these, in these years is the wonderful grace of our Lord, his goodness, his desire to provide everything that we need to be everything that he, he calls us to be. We talked last week about the first chapter of Ephesians and the fact that when we're in Christ, the very inception of our, of our, of our new life, when we're regenerated, we're, giving, we're given everything that, that God will ever give us. It's all implanted in our hearts, and then life from that, that time on is a matter of, of living it out. And here we're told that, that the Father cooperates in the process of fruit-bearing by lifting up the vines. Uh, those of you that cultivate vines know that they're creeping plants, and they have a tendency to, to get down on the ground. And, and if they're on the ground where they mildew and where bugs can insects can overtake them, that, they, that they cease to produce fruit. It's a wonderful picture of the gardener making his way down the rows of vines and he sees a tendril or a branch that's lying on the ground and he, and he lifts it up, he picks it up and he ties it on the trellis, on the lattice work that supports the, the vine so it can begin to, to produce fruit. It's a picture of our Lord's grace and what he does when we're, we get down and dirty, when we're down and out. When we're beat and sunk and sinful and so awful that we can't even stand ourselves, our Lord sees us in that condition, and he lifts us up. He doesn't grit his teeth and, and stamp us into the ground. He doesn't say, you made your bed, now lie in it. He lifts us up, does this wonderfully redemptive thing to encourage us, to get us going, to start relying again upon the life of the vine to produce the fruit of the Spirit. The second thing that he does is to wash us. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he washes it, he cleanses it. If we're not producing fruit, he lifts us up. If we are producing fruit, he washes us so, so uh, we'll produce more fruit. There's a bit of, of local color here. In those days, they did not have insecticides, and so uh, they would actually wash down every leaf individually with lye soap, they would make their way through the vineyard, and if they found insects or dirt or dust on a leaf, they would wash it down. That's what our Lord does. As the next verse goes on to say, you're already clean through the word that I've uttered to you. That's what, what the word does. cleanses our lives, purifies us, purifies our hearts and our minds. That's why we're so intent upon upon teaching it, because we believe it is the work of the Father washing us, even though we don't understand all of it, even though we there are things about the Word that often are difficult and inexplicable to us, just the, the effect of the Word upon our lives is that of, is that of cleansing and, and purifying. My father used to tell of, a, of an elderly woman who was very forgetful, and she would forget from one 
day or the next what she had read at the word, in the Word, and yet she continued to read it. And uh, she complained one day that her mind was like a sieve. And one of her sons said, then why do you keep reading it? She said, well, it keeps the sieve so clean. It's the water of the Word flowing through our hearts and our minds, our lives, has that wonderfully cleansing uh, effect. Jesus said in John 17, I've given you the Word. Now, the Word is there to sanctify you. He sends us into the world where it's so easy for us to be polluted and our minds to be cluttered with uh, impure thoughts and, and tendencies. But the Word is always there to purify us. Now, that's the, that's the Father's responsibility. He lifts us up and uh, He gives us His Word, which purifies us. Our responsibility according to our Lord, is simply to abide. And that's both a, a, a simple and a difficult term. It's difficult, somewhat difficult to, to explain, but we can explain it best in terms of the analogy. If you think of the relationship that a branch has to the vine, then that's the relationship that we have to Christ. What is the relationship of a branch to a vine? Well, it participates in the life of the vine. All the vitality of the vine flows through the branch, and that's what produces the fruit. One of the emphasis that I and other teachers have made in this body over the years is that we can, of ourselves, do absolutely nothing. We cannot produce a single virtue. There's nothing about us that's good or, or worthwhile. The only thing good about us is the life of Christ that's in us, flowing through us, that makes possible the manifestation of the life of, of Christ. What we're talking about here is something, it's real. This is not a virtual reality. This is not a, a made-up truth. It's real. Our Lord is with us. He's in us. We can count on his invisible presence wherever we go. He's just as real as the person sitting next to you. More real, more actual, more substantial than that person. Always available to us wherever we go. And when you walk into that, uh, that counselor's office and you know that bad news is, is coming, you take our Lord Jesus with you and you can rely upon his, his presence. When you open up that letter that you've been dreading to open, he's there. He's in the room. When you begin to fear that uh, for, for the future and your own Security in the future. He's there. He's present with you in the room. When some demand rests upon you that's far beyond your capacity, he's there. He's available to you. His, his life is on tap. We can draw upon his life to be what he wants us to be. Remember the illustration I used a couple of weeks ago of the, of the sandwich, the, the club sandwich, the top layer are those incredible demands of holiness to be like he is, stated both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. To be holy because I am holy. And uh, those demands simply, uh, they imperil us and they uh, frustrate us and, and uh, they make us feel our own futility and our, and our weakness. But uh, the middle layer of the sandwich is enablement, God's provision made available to us, these wonderful promises, faithful as he who has called you, and he will do it. He who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. 
And then underneath are the everlasting arms. When we, when we fail to lay hold of his resources to be what he calls us to be, there is that wonderful ongoing promise of forgiveness. We cannot out the grace of God. That's what it means to be, to be in Christ. Now, uh, our Lord goes on in verse 5 to give us the results of abiding. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I think here he's referring to those that are nominally and not vitally related to the vine, those like Judas that may look good on the surface, but who have never really made the Lord Jesus their Lord. They've they've, they've never really connected with that life. They've never given themselves to him. And they, in the end, he says, wither and dry up. This is what I think the world describes as the 40-year itch. Um, In llama circles, it's called the berserk male syndrome. Uh, It's what begins to happen to a man about age 40 when, when everything begins to dry up, when suddenly he discovers that nothing he's lived for makes any sense, has any meaning. He's been told all of his life that there are certain things that will, that will, that will satisfy getting an education, uh, getting married, having children, climbing to the top of, uh, of, his, of his business, uh, retiring in style. These are the things that ultimately will fulfill us, and none of them do. Because if we're not vitally related to Christ, life just becomes less and less meaningful, begins to pinch out, it's less satisfying. And I think it's what, what our Lord is describing here. Unless we are vitally united and related to Christ, there is nothing in life that will give meaning. We will soon wither and, and die. But the one who abides in him, he says, bears much fruit. And then again in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. And here I think he's talking about prayer that operates in the context of bearing fruit. You need patience, ask for it. You need integrity, ask for it. You need love, ask for it. By this, Jesus says, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So that would be the first thing I would want to say to you. I would hope that you would continue to remain in Christ, to abide in him, to draw upon that mighty, eternal, infinite life that's available to us. Now, the second realm of activity is within the church, God's uh, children, our brothers and sisters. And here, the responsibility is simply to love them. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That is, because we are his friends, he's opened his heart to us. He's told us everything that we need to know about life and and godliness. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should endure, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you love one another. In terms of our responsibility to Christ, the command is to abide. In terms of our responsibility to one another, the command is is to love. That's the hallmark of believers. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The converse is true. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, then you're not walking in the light. No authentic Christian can hate another Christian can despise another believer, can have an unforgiving heart toward another, uh, toward a brother or sister in Christ, and continue to call himself a Christian. It simply cannot be done. Because the one thing that our Lord came to do is to put us into a family, to call us his children, to make us his friends. We don't even get to choose our friends. God, this passage is very clear. Our Lord has chosen our friends for us. And if they're his friends, they have to be our friends at all, as well. A friend of mine just this past week uh, went on, a, or two weeks ago, took a few days off just to find some solitude. And he spent that entire time just reading the scriptures and praying. And I read almost all the way through the New Testament. And I asked him when he got back how his time had gone. And he said, well, I learned one thing from from reading through the New Testament. It's all about God's children forgiving and loving one another. Now you ask, how can I how can I love that person down the row or in front of me or that believer who's not in attendance here but who's wronged me so so deeply? The first thing we, we need to know is that we cannot love another believer. We cannot love anyone apart from the love of God. It all begins with the, with our, with an awareness of how deeply we're loved. We have to remember that God loves us, that He loves us unconditionally, that He loves us when we're at our worst, that He loves us no matter what we do or say. In fact, He cannot stop loving us because He is love. And and it's, it's basking in that love. It's reflecting upon it. It's reminding ourselves over and over again that we're loved, that enables us to love others. There's a book entitled Good Morning, Mary Sunshine by a Chicago Tribune columnist by the name of Bob Green. And in it, he chronicles his infant daughter's first year of life. This is what he, what he writes. Uh, Amanda was his little daughter. This is something I'm having trouble getting used to. I will be in bed reading a book or watching TV, and I will look down at the foot of the bed, and there will be Amanda's head staring back at me. Apparently, I've become one of the objects that fascinate her. It's so strange. After months of having gone to her, now she's choosing to come to me. I don't know how to react. All I can figure is that she likes the idea 
of coming into my presence and looking at me. She doesn't expect anything in return. I'll return her gaze, and in a few minutes, she'll decide she wants to be back in the living room, and off she'll crawl again and go on her happy way. It's that simple pleasure of looking at one another in love that is so meaningful to us. To gaze into our Lord's face, as it were, through the word. To look into his eyes and to see that he loves us. He hates the offenses, but he loves the offender. It's that exchange of looks. It's that enjoyment of one another when we worship. I've said over and over again that in in G.K. Chesterton's words, the whole Bible is about the loneliness of God. He longs for us, yearns for us, his heart breaks for us, wants us to come into his presence. And when we come into his presence and we look into his face and we see how much he loves us and we see how much he has forgiven us, he has forgiven us, then we can go out from his presence and we can forgive and we can love as he forgives and he loves us. The second way to generate love is simply to ask for it. I believe that's what our Lord has in mind in verse 16. When he says, I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should endure. And fundamentally, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Spelled out in terms of all the other virtues, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. Those are all aspects of love. And he wants that fruit, the fruit of love, to endure. And how do we get it? Our Lord promises, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. It's not a carte blanche. He's not telling us that we can pray for anything and receive it. He's talking specifically here about love. If we ask for it, he'll begin to give it to us. We'll never have it perfectly in this life. We'll never know pure love until we stand in his presence, but he will begin to give us the love that we need for one another. So in the realm of our relationship to Christ, our responsibility is to abide. In the realm of our relationship with our brothers and sisters, our responsibility is to love them. And then finally, in terms of our relationship to the world, we are to bear witness to it. Verse 18, if the world hates you, You know that it has hated me before it hated you. I think that's what makes love within the family so significant because we can expect to experience everything from persecution to cold indifference in the world. It's increasingly becoming true. Jesus said, as the world becomes more evil, it will become more cold. And that's what we're experiencing today, a world that is cold toward the things of God and a world that will be cold toward you if you have joined yourself to the Lord. You've aligned yourself with the one that the world hates and you could expect to experience hostility and and hatred. It's inevitable. We cannot avoid it. That's why we need a safe house. We need a place to run where we're loved and accepted as we are. So Jesus warns us, the world... It's going to hate you. That's the attitude of the world toward the body of Christ. It'll hate you because it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. There are two reasons why we experience the world's hostility. The first is in verse 19, because you're not of the world. If we're worldly, the world will like us. If we're not, if we're living lives that separate us from the world, then the world will hate us. We can expect hostility. It's the name of the game. And secondly, they will hate you because they don't know the one who sent you. They do not know the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. They do not know the longing of the Father to bring, bring in those that, that are on the outside. Jesus said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin or guilt. But now they have no excuse. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have guilt. But now they've both seen and hated me in my father's world. The world is ignorant of God, but their ignorance is inexcusable because they have our Lord's words and they have our Lord's works. Nevertheless, they're unimpressed. They have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Here's the most loving person who ever walked the face of the earth, who cared for people like, like no one has ever cared for them, and they hated him without cause, and they will hate you, and they will hate me without cause if we're making visible the invisible Christ in the world. But, verse 26, when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, come to reside in us and around us, in every context in which we live. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. We often read this, these final two verses as though uh, the Spirit's witness corroborates ours. We witness, and, and he supports that witness. But actually, it's the other way around. The Spirit's witness anticipates ours. It precedes ours. And what the Lord is telling us is that even now, this moment, the Lord is speaking to people who do not know God. And he's, he's touching their hearts. He's, he's sensitizing them. He is, as he says later in verse 16, he is awakening them to sin and righteousness and judgment. So that when we bear witness, our witness simply corroborates his. That's why Christian witness is so powerful when we talk about Jesus and what he's done for us. It sets up a sympathetic vibration in other people's hearts. It awakens them, awakens in them a, a longing uh, for good and for God. That's why we don't have to bear down on people. I've often talked about what I call the wisdom of frankness. Simply saying again what God has done for you, the most powerful witness that we can give is not to tell others what somebody else has taught you, but to tell others what the Lord has done for you, to bear witness of him through your own personal experience, to simply relax and, and, and talk about the goodness of God in, in, in your own life. That's such an impelling witness. There's one thing more that I have wanted you to, uh, to know, and that is our most powerful weapon against against hostility and hatred is, is love. The world may hate us, 
But we're called upon to, to love the world, to love our enemies, to forgive those that despitefully use us. I often quote Paul's words to Timothy. Uh, I better read it. Second Timothy. Second Timothy two. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. The word that's translated senses here means someone whose senses have been dulled as though by alcohol. They are sobered up when they come in contact with someone who, uh, who speaks truth, but speaks the truth in love. Paul says it's a sin to be argumentative in a, in a spirit of kindness, generosity, and and love toward others because the people who oppose us are not the enemy. They're the victims of the enemy who have been taken by, captive by him to do his will. And what Paul tells us in this passage is that they may be one, but they will only be one if we speak the truth in love. Angry confrontation with, with unbelievers is wrong. And when we do so, we have only one ally, and that's the devil. These people have been taken captive by the enemy. They've taken leave of their senses. The only way they can be restored is if we will speak the truth to them in love. The other thing I would want to say, and, and, I, and I, this is something I've said over and over again, the most powerful witness that we can give is the witness of our lives. As God begins to change us, as we begin to look more and more like the real thing, as we show integrity, honor, righteousness, love, toward unbelievers. They begin to see us, see in us, the life of Christ. I came across a poem the other day. Uh, it goes like this. Not merely in the words you say, not only in your deeds confessed, but in the most unconscious way is Christ expressed. Is it a beatific smile, a holy light upon your brow? Oh no, I felt his presence when you laughed just now. For me, t'was not the truth you taught to you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. And from your eyes, he beckons me, and from your heart, his love is shed. Till I lose sight of you and see the Christ instead. Paul beckons to us to be like a sweet perfume, an aroma, fragrance that lingers, like windsong that sticks in your mind. Wherever we go, we leave behind that unforgettable fragrance of Christ. So those are the three things that I would leave with you, and I think uh, they well summarize what's been on my heart over these years, to teach you how to abide in Christ, how to love one another, and how to bear witness to the world. Let's pray. Father, I come with such a heart of gratitude for this body of believers who have loved me and my family over the years, who have supported us in this ministry, 
who are so teachable and responsive to the word. And I, I give thanks to you for them. And I ask for all of us that the reminders in this passage would become increasingly true in us, that we would, we would hold tightly to you that we would see you as the only source of life, that we would draw from you that inexhaustible, enduring uh, life that, that makes us what you've called us to be. And I pray that we would increasingly learn to love each other, despite the flaws and the failures, the inadequacies in our lives, the ways in which we hurt one another, embarrass one another, put each other on the spot, do things that that harm and hurt, Lord, that we would forgive and love, remembering how much we've been forgiven and how deeply we're loved. And that we would bear an honest and true witness to the world, that we would live it out in our lives, that we would be have lives of integrity, that when we're sinful and wrong, that we would admit it, not try to hide, fake something that's not real, not true, but we would just be ourselves and continue to grow in grace and to live out the products of that grace wherever we go and that our message would be in tune with our lives, that that we would speak the truth and love to people, that we would be frank and bold but never brutal, cold, angry and hostile toward those that may oppose us. We would ask that you would continue to use this body of believers in a, in a vital way in years to come to touch many, many lives, not only here in Boise, but throughout the world. And we thank you, what you for what you have done and what you will do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am... Um want to introduce to one last guest to start the sharing time. He had something he wanted uh, to share with us. So Brian Morgan, would you come on up? Brian is the uh, pastor of, uh, one of the pastors of Peninsula Bible Church South. David and Carolyn didn't know that Brian was going to be here. We wanted this to be a surprise. And Brian wanted to uh, read a poem for them. Well, as the Apostle Paul said to the, I think it was the Galatians, he says, you have many brothers, but uh, one father. And I think of David that way. I first met David in the fall of 1970. I was uh, just joined a fraternity, rank pagan house, and uh, I asked David to come in and teach a Bible study. And he said, no, I won't do that. He says, I'll teach you and you teach it. And uh, I never forgot that. Um, I remember the terror that struck in my heart. <laughs> and uh, he said, we're going to have a team meeting in your house, and uh, you're going to share your testimony, and I'll share the gospel. Then you're going to announce that you're going to teach a Bible study to all these guys. And uh, every Tuesday at 2 o'clock, David would show up in his little red Volkswagen, and uh, we'd study the scriptures from 2 to 3, and I would just sort of regurgitate his notes. And... Uh, did that year in and year out for three years. And after that time, when uh, David left the campus ministry, there were five that came from that campus uh, that joined the pastoral staff. 
And a couple weeks ago, we were out at Mount Hermon at a men's retreat, and I was walking along the redwood groves, and one of these giant redwoods had fallen. And the pastor I was with said to me, he said, you know what that redwood means? He says, once they fall, they still provide an ecosystem that, that channels the life for the next 1,500 years of the saplings. And I thought to myself, since Dave has left Peninsula Bible Church, Palo Alto, and then us in Cupertino, his influence has probably far more shaped us uh, almost than anyone else and probably had more of an impact since he's left. And I just wanted to read this uh, poem to David. Uh, it's really my tribute to him, uh, entitled uh, Under the Fig Tree. How can I ever forget you? O oh, David, you are a true Israelite with the tongue of the learned and unfailing love for the scrolls. Your words were soothing oil, initiating me in the pure rivers, words which stood the test of time, never needing alteration. You climbed Mount Hermon ahead of all the rabbis, but when you reached the summit and Gamaliel greeted you with words of praise, the shepherd overcame the scholar. You smiled and turned, and with a twinkle in your eye, descended back into the valley to do what you did best, fish for men. You sought the simple ones, the disheartened ones, the ones who thirst by Engedi and lay broken in Adullam. And you perceived what most could not, divine gifts wrapped in mud. What most reckoned is worthless ore you saw as living stones set in antimony. I'll never forget being in your humble chariot, hearing Paul's echo to young Timothy, you are a faithful men who can teach others also. The invitation is simple, you said. Tell them, come and see. The blind came and received their sight. This is Emmaus, I cried. And then alongside Moriah's aged altar, you taught me to kneel and not resist. Before love's purest flame of holy fire which beckoned only son and newfound daughter. Then you taught us to love Shimei and go unarmed into the wilderness and face up the mountain, for from there he makes his faces radiant. And if ever the divine wick would dim, you never became disheartened or crushed, but gathered new oil for the lamp and breathed upon it afresh to rekindle the blaze. Yet in all this you remained a true Israelite in whom there was no guile, welcoming all to repose under your fig tree. And in the words of Isaiah, who is the one to whom the Lord looks? It's this one. He who is humble, is crushed of spirit, and trembles at my word. This is our beloved Dave. We love you. Let's go ahead and uh, let me uh, recognize uh, some of the microphones. Again, say your name when you start. The folks up on top, when uh, somebody's going to have to wave to me because I can hardly see you, but I'm going to get a couple of the ones down. Let's start over here. Looks like Mike might be standing in front of that one. You're uh, right, Chris, even without <laughs> your glasses. My name's Mike Rush, and uh, it's interesting that as much as I've respected David's teaching, the moment that I'm going to share uh, is kind of the defining moment. I can't, for the life of me, remember what he said. <laughs> um, 
But it was it was up at family camp, and I remember the chair he was sitting in in the middle of the dust and the grass, and he was wearing clothes that looked very comfortable. And I can't remember the issue we talked about uh, or what he said, as I said, but uh, I do remember I had a question I was struggling with, and I went over and visited with him for 10 or 15 minutes and, and really came away with uh, uh, an answer to that question and, and uh, some insights that I didn't have before. But since that time, the insight that's grown on me is the one that, uh, that I'd like to leave with you, David, and that's uh, kind of the model of a Christian leader as somebody that was accessible, somebody that was available, somebody that was approachable, and somebody that was comfortable enough with his own faith and relationship with God that he was able to make a defense of the gospel without being defensive. Thanks. Thank you, Mark. What over here? Uh, Mark Van Skyver, David, and uh, I remember when he first came to Cole, David was real brave and thought he'd have an 8 o'clock service. And uh, at that time, Cole's changed quite a bit. There would be about 10 or 12 of us there. <laughs> and David would uh, teach, and then he'd stop every now and then and say, well, what do you guys think? <laughs> and we'd have this talk back and forth, but David, look behind you and, and look at the fruit of your ministry and I can hardly wait to hear the words of Jesus say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Let's go over here again. Uh, my name is Shane Cobb, and I guess, David, I want to thank you especially for the sermons on wanting. And you re- reiterated that again this morning, and that was something that I really struggled with. I was one of those people who was trying to find satisfaction without Jesus Christ. And it got to the point in my life where I knew that I needed something more. And so I started praying for God to make me the man he wanted me to be. And at the same time, my mother was praying for me to fall in love with Jesus. And I didn't know how he was going to answer that prayer. And two months later, I was in an unwanted divorce. But through that and through um, the encouragement of Cole and David's teaching and sticking to biblical principles, um, I clung to Jesus and... I believe he is making me the man he wants me to be. Um, the other thing is specifically that day that you gave that sermon, I was struggling. The divorce was done. I was struggling with feeling like I wanted to do a bunch of things for God. And one of those things was I felt like I wanted to go back to school. And I'll never forget the day you gave that sermon. You said there is. That's why there's so much melancholy on campus, because people are trying to find happiness in something other than Christ. And that's my personality is melancholy. And at the same time, you also said that you will not find happiness in building a cabin in Crouch. And my parents are building a cabin in Crouch. (laughs) So I just wanted to thank you for being a tool when God has spoken through me. Messing up all his plans. Thanks, Shay. Is there a... Okay, I see a hand waving. Good job. Flashlight, even. My name... Excuse me. My name is Ben Pearson, and we have a growth group in Nampa. And Wednesday night, before we did the Bible study, we were talking about people that might have been mentors in our life. And I did not grow up uh, with any great Christian influence. And the only person that came to my mind when we talked about mentors was David. Um, We have never been real close. We've talked a few times and things, but... I've learned more 
about who I am and my relationship with Christ from uh, the Sunday mornings that we've been at Cole, uh, the growth. And he said, if you just stick with me here, you might learn something. (laughs) I did stick with him, and I did learn something that I've applied now while I'm married. So thank you very much. Thank you. Down here. My name is Connie Eastman, and I never know if I'm standing too close or too far away. You're just right. Um, I think that perhaps my husband, Phil, and our two boys, Keith and Philip, and myself represent a group of you all that um, are going to get involved in a growth group. And you're going to get involved in this and that, but somehow, because of where you live or whatever, you're not able to become a part of those small groups as often as you would like to. So Sunday morning or whatever your chosen service is the time that you get to see someone stand up there in front and give the word of the Lord. And that is most often David, and if it's not David, it's only someone that David would let up there, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So... You take those morsels and you take them back home and you realize that they're filtering through your life. And I was brought up in the church, but much like the lady who spoke from up top, um, a lot under the law. Not because those people wanted it to be under the law, but because they didn't understand the fullness of the Bible. So when we began coming to Cole... And I knew we would come to Cole before I even knew my husband. I knew eventually I would be at Cole. And um, that has been so well pictured by David's ministry and Carolyn. And when we first came, Carolyn was with the women's ministry and her sweetness. And I knew that David had to be okay as such a great lady was standing behind him. Amen. Let's go on over here again. Hi, my name is Mick Armstrong. My family, uh, Karen and the girls, and I are originally from the Midwest. And um, much like Dave was talking about just a little bit earlier, a little over three years ago, um, I kind of hit the wall in my own career and uh, needed a lifeline out. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in a difficult situation in Nevada. Um, long commute, not much time at home, and, and uh, long work days. And I uh, appreciate uh, you taking a phone call from a stranger. Uh, I'd read your book, um, Strength of a Man. I'd been spending time that uh, with another guy in the, on the Navy Air Base. And uh, he's... Look, turned over and looked on the back and saw that you were up here in Boise and, and had gone to Dallas. And my wife and I had been attending churches with Dallas men for a number of years. And so we decided that uh, we were thinking about Idaho, but Boise kind of cemented for us. And so we really um, appreciate being able to get up here. And uh, another thing, um, I really appreciate the time that we spent studying David. Um, I can identify with that willful spirit. And uh, really appreciate um, just seeing some of the things that David went through and, and his way back. Thank you. Thanks, Mick. I'm going to ask uh, while well, the next person shares if 
any staff and elders can start working their way to the sides and working their way up uh, to the stage just for the for our commissioning. So go ahead and do that while we while we hear from another couple people. I'm going to go over here and then I'm going to go up to both balconies. Okay. Yeah, Dennis Dixon. About 12 years ago, Judy and I and the boys uh, headed this way to uh, the study center program. Uh, left being a crusty old miner, still kind of crusty, but. Uh, uh, I guess the thing that I appreciate, David and Carolyn, about your ministry, uh, one of the first things I heard uh, David say in a principal of ministries class was to uh, really recruit and train others to help do the work of the ministry. And, uh, you know, what was impressed upon me is that David and Carolyn have worked with literally hundreds of people. They have chosen young people like myself and others, uh, not so young anymore, but uh, but really they've trusted God, had tremendous amount of faith in God to let others do the work of the ministry. And uh, that has been uh, so refreshing, uh, Carolyn David, to be able to be a part of that. Thank you. Okay, let's have one last one. I'm sorry, I know I knew in advance that we weren't going to get to everyone. We'll have more sharing at the luncheon, but uh, we're going to... Go ahead over here, and David and Karen, would you come up uh, now for the commissioning? And you're going to have one more? You are it. My name is uh, Judy Hansen, and uh, David had quite an impact on my life about 16 or 17 years ago. It seems like 20, but if he's only been in the ministry here 17, then it's got to be uh, maybe about 16 years ago. I came to him in his little office on uh, Cole Road, real discouraged about a difficult marriage. And um, I just really felt a sense of compassion and caring as he shared God's truth with me, which was to do the hard thing and hang in and love my husband and serve him. And that was not easy, but yet every time I saw Carolyn and David, uh, even through their eyes, I could just see them give me the thumbs-up sign, like, hang in, hang in. And um, I cannot begin, and I will say that because of his encouragement uh, to me to obey God's word, it has just blessed my family. I received blessing after blessing, and I'm so thankful for that. And, um, and I guess the thing that I'm just most thankful for right now is that it means the world to me, because of David's counsel, to be and have been walking in God's will all, all these years. And... Uh, and I just want to thank him for that. Thank you, Jay. As you know, uh, David and Carolyn are um, moving into ministering to pastoral couples more full-time. You guys stand back here where we can uh, get this motley crew around you. Uh, I am in Idaho Mountain Ministries. It's been a, a ministry of this church for about 12 years. And God has used it to uh, have a a great impact on many churches, many pastors. But over the last couple of years, it became obvious that God was calling David and Carolyn to commit more time and more resources uh, to this ministry. And uh, as we saw that reality unfolding, God's call unfolding, we, uh, we thought very hard about being selfish and keeping them to ourselves. But that's not... Uh, how David and Carolyn have taught us that we 
hold on to the resources that God gives us with an open hand to be used for his kingdom. And so with that in mind, we gladly join with our Lord in uh, seeing the ropers move into this calling. So we're going to take a minute to pray with them, a couple of the staff and elders. These staff and elders uh, represent you here uh, in, in commissioning David and Carol and dedicating to the, them to this calling of God. So let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we do gather this morning and uh, we do so with, uh, with a grateful heart with considerable sadness, but uh, as Chris said earlier, with uh, great anticipation for what you'll be doing in the uh, the lives of so many people in the state of Idaho as, as the Ropers go out and, and touch more and more lives. We thank you for the the uh, impact that they've had here at Cole, and uh, we just look, look forward to the way you're going to minister through them to uh, pastoring couples throughout the state. Father, we thank you for the call that you've placed upon Dave and Carolyn, reminding us this morning out of uh, John that you're the one who places the call upon them, and you're going to send them out to bear fruit. Their lives lived among other pastors and their wives will be a blessing to this whole state and to the states around us. Thank you for that. So, Father, this morning we commit them to you for your commissioning to the call that you've called them to. Father, we, uh, we are truly grateful for having had the Ropers here to minister to us through this church, either directly or through the ministries that uh, you've placed into their hearts to create and lead. And now as you've called them to uh, another ministry that's your work somewhere else, uh, we just ask your blessing on them, that your spirit would be working in them mightily, that... Uh, the people that they come in contact would be blessed and come to a fuller understanding of your love and your care, your grace, and the gospel that you have to offer. Uh, I would just pray, too, that as uh, part of the body, you would help us each to recognize that we are blessed as they do your ministry. And so as they go out, Lord, uh, we go out with them. Show us how we can help them uh, in the ministry that you've called them to. Uh, and we just thank you in Jesus' name for the ministry that they're about to undertake. Father, uh, I just thank you for the many hours in uh, meetings I've spent with Dave, all of us here, and many, many hours in Bible study. I would just ask, Father, that uh, that you would help us not to be sad because they're leaving us, but joyful because you're going to use them in so many other people's lives. Just bless them, Father. Father, we just pray that you would help uh, us as a body to learn more and more how to give ourselves away and as as we uh, go with David and Carolyn in this ministry, we just pray that you would teach us and teach us to give ourselves and, and especially to the communities and the pastors and the churches uh, throughout this state. And we thank you for that opportunity. Lord, we uh, do rejoice in your goodness, your faithfulness to use these two, uh, that you have proved yourself able and powerful in them. And we thank you and we worship you and we look forward to you doing that uh, still and continue to do that in the ministry that you're calling them to. 
And so we join with you, gladly, rejoicing, to see you expand your kingdom and your righteousness. And we pray this for your glory and in your name. Amen.